You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Sometimes I wonder if hearts are broken By little love words that are left unspoken I always tremble when you are near me I'm looking for a ray of hope to cheer me I hope to keep my kisses warm Until we meet in shadow form In dreams I kiss your hand, madame Your dainty fingertips Welcome, my friends. Welcome to another edition of the Corbett Report. I am your host, James Corbett, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan on this 31st day of October 2010. I'd like to welcome everyone back to the Corbett Report and invite you all, as always, to check into my website, CorbettReport.com, where you can find previous episodes of this podcast, as well as articles, interviews, and videos created by myself in the past, and links to those websites that I support and that support the Corbett Report. I'd also like to thank everyone who, in the past few weeks, has reported a concern on the iTunes store about the Corporate Report podcast, and let everyone know that after multiple emails to Apple, I finally managed to get some actual customer service, and they have now repaired the feed. So people who go to the iTunes store to sign up for the Corbett Report podcast feed can now get the up-to-date version of the podcast, and, of course... It's probably best to avoid this type of shenanigans in the future if everyone actually subscribes through the Corbett Report website directly. That is, go to CorbettReport.com, click on the subscribe tab on the left side, and there you'll find a link to all of the RSS feeds that the Corbett Report offers, including the episodes, the interviews, the articles, and the videos, so you can get them delivered directly to your podcatcher of choice when and as they are created. I'd also like to remind all the listeners that there is a special bonus midweek episode of the Corbett Report podcast, an audio documentary episode that is being released each Wednesday and has been being released each week for several weeks now. So you can go and download the latest edition of the midweek Documentaries That Matter series, episode 157 of the Corbett Report, Endgame Blueprint for Global Enslavement, Uh, right now from CorbettReport.com, and of course, stay tuned later this week for episode 159, which will be another audio documentary. But as always, we have a lot of information to get through today, so without further ado, let's get to today's Sunday update. This is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com with your Sunday update for this 31st day of October 2010. And now for the real news. TV funnyman John Stewart and Stephen Colbert appeared on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. yesterday to host the much-talked-about rally to restore fear and or sanity. Calling for a moment of sincerity at the end of the event, Stewart delivered a stirring and well-received speech on the need for people of different ideologies to work together to achieve their shared goals. Another car is a Latino carpenter. Another car, a fundamentalist vacuum salesman. Atheist obstetrician. Mormon Jay-Z fan. But this is us. Every one of the cars that you see is filled 
with individuals of strong belief and principles they hold dear. Often principles and beliefs in direct opposition to their fellow travelers. And yet these millions of cars must somehow find a way to squeeze one by one into a mile-long, 30-foot-wide tunnel carved underneath a mighty river. Carved by people, by the way, who I'm sure had their differences. And they do it. Concession by concession. You go, then I'll go. You go, then I'll go. You go, then I'll go. Oh, my God, is that an NRA, an NRA sticker on your car? Is that an Obama sticker on your car? Uh, well, that's okay. You go, and then I'll go. And sure, at some point, there will be a selfish jerk who zips up the shoulder and cuts in at the last minute. But that individual is rare, and he is scorned, and not hired as an analyst. Oddly missing from this well-articulated speech was any mention of an incident one month ago where 9-11 truth activists at a John Stewart book signing in New York City were viciously accosted by writers for The Daily Show, or any indication that the show's executive producer, Rory Albanese, was arrested for assault by the New York Police Department for punching one of the activists in the face. In pointed contrast to an incident in 2008 where We Are Change member Gary Tallis was falsely accused of assaulting a wheelchair-bound woman at an event attended by the Bushes and then pursued on the charges in criminal court until found not guilty by a jury of his peers, no charges have been pressed on Albanese and he will not have to face criminal prosecution for his vicious attack. No word yet on whether any of the tens of thousands of adoring Stewart fans at the rally, or any of the millions around the world, watching their televisions in a scientifically crafted, flicker-rate-induced alpha brainwave state, will question the hypocrisy of these incidents in the face of Stewart's speech, 
or whether they will continue to support him and his show staff no matter what they actually do. Neither Albanese, Stewart, nor any of the show's other staff, including staff writer Kevin Blair, a member of the Council on Foreign Relations who has helped write several Obama speeches, have yet been asked to comment on the incident by any media outlet anywhere in the world. Meanwhile, an activist from We Are Change, Pennsylvania, attended a Bill Clinton stump speech for midterm congressional candidate Paul Konjorski. When activist Anthony Antonello attempted to educate the crowd on the truth behind the crumbling American economy and the privately controlled central bank that is engineering the current collapse, Clinton supporters from a local union surrounded him and immediately began to verbally and physically assault him for exercising his free speech. All the new jobs are in that last 30% and when we get out of the hole and start going into the future. What jobs? So how are we going to... I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. You let me speak and then everybody wants to say it here, you speak and do it. All right, I'll, I'll debate you right now. I will, I will debate you right now. I will, I'll debate. Fuck it. What's that? Don't make any trouble. Yeah, don't make no I'm sorry, what was that? Okay. I have a right to be here. I have a right to be here. So do we. First Amendment. So do we. We're not going to do that. So what do we do? Free speech is for everybody, brother. While no local news affiliate found this brazen assault in the middle of a public event worthy of coverage, amazingly, one reporter apparently did try to find out what had happened and what Antonello was actually talking about. I, I want to know who are you with? I'm with. The okay. It's a TV. Okay, you School seen all that? County. Yeah, we saw. All I was saying was end the Fed. End the Fed. That's not even partisan. What, what do you mean, end the Fed? End the Federal Reserve, okay? What people don't understand is what the Federal Reserve is, it's not even a federal entity, okay? It's right. a private bank that oh, prints our money. Else, somebody, somebody else told me about it's that. so simple when you understand this that this is the problem that we have to fix to fix our country, okay? It's a private bank that owns, they print the money out of thin air, give it to us, and they control the interest rates, okay? okay. So once you understand the Federal Reserve system, you understand it's not a Democrat or Republican problem. It remains speculation at this point whether the same union members and Clinton supporters who called Antonello a faggot and kicked him repeatedly for attempting to speak at a public event later went home and watched Jon Stewart's rally for sanity on C-SPAN. Finally this week, the, poli the politician commonly referred to as President Obama appeared on Jon Stewart's Daily Show earlier this week to face a torrent of softball questions and gentle good-natured humor from the TV funnyman. During the interview, Obama made a verbal gaffe so immediately evident that Stewart had to step in and immediately make a joke out of it. Larry Summers did a heck of a job trying to figure out how to... You don't want to use that phrase, I, dude. I was, uh, <laughs> pun intended. The words harken back to a phrase that former President Bush infamously used to describe criminally incompetent ex-FEMA head Michael Brown's ability to make the Katrina disaster in New Orleans much worse than it should have been, refusing water and other aid to victims for days after the disaster hit, and confiscating guns from, with the National Guard from law-abiding citizens in high and dry areas of the city in direct violation of posse comitatus. 
Brownie, you're doing a heck of a job. The FEMA director is working 24 hours. Obama's choice of words were unintentionally apt, however, since just as Michael Brown was directly responsible for much of the death and devastation in the wake of Katrina, White House economic advisor Larry Summers is directly responsible for the current mortgage crisis and the greater derivative crisis that is currently threatening to destroy the global economy in preparation for a new world financial order of a single worldwide currency controlled by the banksters for the pleasure of the ruling elite. You have 44 million Americans living below the poverty line of 21,400. You have unemployment that will not shake. And we don't even know who owns these homes that people were swindled into buying. And Lawrence Summers is the guy who did it back in the Clinton years. The guy, along with Robert Rubin. But the really key piece of legislation, the Commodity Futures Modernization Act. Lawrence Summers was the Secretary of Treasury. He pushed it to through Titles 3 and 4, said no existing law or regulatory agency will be able to govern these collateralized debt obligations, these credit default swaps. That opened the floodgates to the scam. The reason I call my book The Great American Stick-Up, this is not one of the normal problems of capitalism. This is not global warming. It's not, you know, exploitation of foreign workers. It's not the failure of our education system. This was a deliberate scam. In strong contrast to Obama, who believes that Summers and the numerous Wall Street-connected economic advisors in the White House are doing a heck of a job in running the world economy over the precipice, Trends forecaster Gerald Salente appeared on the Corbett Report earlier this week to talk about what the unfolding mortgage crisis really means and where the economy is really heading. It's fraud closure, not foreclosure. And it's only, again, another element, and people should expect this, from a banking system that rips off the people at every level. Let's look at the deal here. Let's be realistic. Where do they borrow money? For almost nothing rates from the Fed, the big banks, and then charge these ridiculous rates to the people that are borrowing it? You're two seconds late on your credit card, and they slap you with a 30% interest rate. Who could get away with that? only in a criminal society, that's who. So as we see this unfolding, we're going to see it take a very heavy toll on the already sinking real estate market. Look at the numbers, James. New home sales just came out. Oh, they brag that they went up in this year of what Vice President and propaganda Joseph Biden called, quote, the summer of recovery. Oh yes, they went up those home sales. They're only 22% below that terrible 2009 level. So this fraud closure is going to have an even more dramatic effect on the sinking real estate market. It's going to seize up a lot of properties that would have been sold. And of course, you're going to see many more foreclosures clogging the system and worsening a bad situation. Now please go to CorporateReport.com to download episode 158 of the Corporate Report podcast, Requiem for the Suicided, the DC Madam, where we discuss the case of Deborah Jean Palfrey, whose escort service client list threatened to shake the foundations of Washington. Welcome to episode 158 of the Corbett Report, Requiem for the Suicided, the DC Madam. 
It would be pretty difficult to tell from a first reading of Deborah Jean Palfrey's biographical details that she was destined to one day become the infamous DC Madam. She had a degree in criminal justice from Rollins College and even attended one year of law school at the Thomas Jefferson School of Law, after which she worked as a paralegal in San Diego before becoming involved in the escort business. Unimpressed with the way the escort agencies were being run and perhaps infused with that American entrepreneurial spirit, Deborah Jean Palfrey decided to start her own escort service, and by 1990, she herself had been arrested for pimping, pandering, and extortion. She was convicted in 1992 and spent 18 months in jail. The internet being that wonderful depository of all information that could possibly be conceived of, let alone asked for that it is, you can now go online to The Smoking Gun and find the actual sentencing memorandum that Deborah Jane Palfrey filed in that case in the early 1990s in the San Diego Superior Court. And as always, I encourage and urge listeners to go to CorbettReport.com to find the documentation list for today's episode, where you can find all of the documentation backing up everything that is mentioned today. In that sentencing memorandum, you can find how Deborah Jean Palfrey promised the judge in the case that she would never start another escort agency, a promise that she was very shortly to break. Shortly after her release, she founded Pamela Martin and Associates, another escort service, this one servicing the Washington, D.C. area. Brian Ross, the investigative reporter for ABC News, who we've encountered several times before in this podcast as one of the mouthpieces of the American intelligence networks, and who you might want to go back to episode 18 of this podcast to find out more about, reports on the workings of that escort agency. Good evening, may I help you? This is the yes, voice men heard. When they called the Washington Escort Service, run by the woman now known as the D.C. Madam. We charge a flat 275 for an hour and a half. Were you looking to perhaps book an appointment this evening? How may I help you? And then we would take it from there. Her name is Jean Palfrey, and over the course of 13 years, she says she fielded thousands of calls from some of Washington's most prominent men. Men who answered ads for what was known as Pamela Martin and Associates, offering sophisticated, college-educated, attractive women. I always just find it as the Ann Taylor look. I wanted to make sure that they had that certain look, that they could walk into the Hay Adams, for example, and not be questioned. It was as upscale as it could be, and the business thrived. The Four Seasons, the Mayflower. And your gals, as you call them, could walk in there and not be spotted by hotel security. Not at all, not at all. These were not cheap women. These are very nice women who just needed to make a few extra dollars. One was a professor at the University of Maryland. There was a successful real estate agent, even a lieutenant commander in the Navy. Sometimes, when Palfrey was unavailable, a legal secretary at one of Washington's top law firms, Aiken Gump, would handle the calls as well as go out on calls herself. Using her email account at Aiken Gump, the secretary told Palfrey why she wanted to be an escort. A day a week would be fun and spa money. But were these women proud of what they did for you? I don't think they were ashamed. You don't think so? Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, 1991 is when I bought this property. The D.C. So madam actually ran her business across oh, yeah, the country yeah, from Washington out of her elegantly restored period home in Solano County, California. The calls from Washington were forwarded to an extension in her laundry room. 
Um, sometimes the, the washer and dryer were going, and if it was too loud, I'd, I'd leave and go into the other room. All from right here? All from right this here. This is all it takes to run an escort service? Uh, yeah, you need a phone. That's what you need. Names of customers and their preferences were shredded every night. But Palfrey says she was doing nothing illegal because she was selling what she calls sexual fantasy, legal sex. And how do you define legal sex? Well, uh, illegal sex is prostitution, which is either intercourse of any type or oral sex. Anything else is considered basically legal. And do you think your women went over the line? I sure hope not. I sure hope not. Uh, say that with a straight face. I, I'm saying that yeah, with really? a straight. I'm saying that with a straight face. A savvy businesswoman with a year of law school, Palfrey actually had her women sign a contract saying they would be terminated if they did anything illegal. Brian Ross of ABC News and the establishment status quo media that is always happy to report on the prurient nature of scandalous stories, especially when they involve titillating tidbits of information about possible sex scandals. And as such, it would really be of no greater consequence and certainly no consequence to the Corbett report. But as you may have picked up in that report... Yes, many of the, the clients were, of course, based in Washington, D.C., where there just happened to be people of political consequence. And that's where this story starts to pick up. In October of 2006, the IRS, after a two-year probe, swooped down on Pamela Martin and Associates, a.k.a. Deborah Jean Palfrey, operating out in California, and searched her home and froze nearly half a million dollars in assets. Once again, the long arm of the law was finding its way into Deborah Jean Palfrey's business, but this time there was something entirely different at stake. This time, she was operating in Washington, D.C. with some very well-known clients. Of course, the seizing of those assets and the searching of Palfrey's home set off a frenzy of headlines speculating about possible D.C. sex scandals looming on the horizon. But one thing that the corporate establishment media was not keen to report on was the reason why the investigation of Pamela Martin and Associates took two years to complete, why they decided to swoop in after she had already shut down the business, and what was really at stake with the search and seizure of her home and assets. So, as usual, it was left to the alternative media to begin exploring those issues and trying to ferret out the real reasons behind her prosecution, and we turn now to an interview that the D.C. madam, Deborah Jean Palfrey, conducted on The Alex Jones Show in 2007. Well, uh, from what I gather, and, and I'll try to uh, um, compress it as much as I possibly can because it's a very convoluted and detailed story, but from what I gather, I was under investigation more or less, and it could have been prior to this, but more or less from March or so of 2004 until last October 4th of 2006 when there was a raid conducted on my home, a search warrant executed upon my home. Now, I'm going to use, I'm using the word investigated or investigation rather loosely here. It does not appear to have been an investigation into prostitution-related services or activities since, oh, by the way, prostitution is not a federal crime. It is left for the state states uh, in the lower state courts i might say uh to uh to adjudicate however what appears it's a to local a local vice issue it's a local vice issue absolutely uh what appears to have taken place however 
is uh, some sort of a gathering of evidence on Deborah Jean Palfrey, sort of a la J. Edgar Hoover style. Uh, personal information, financial information, and the like. There does not appear to have been any sort of actual investigation from what I gather, and I am 10 months into this now, and I've gone through a civil process, now I'm into a criminal process. Well, I'll tell you from, from what I've seen in the past, and just instinctively I've seen this before, they may have been tracking what was going on with your business to use that without your knowledge for higher ups to actually blackmail people. Uh, that's kind of my thinking, or, or something as nefarious as that, mm-hmm. or something as nefarious as that. Absolutely, that's exactly what we believe has occurred. Ah, uh, you don't see that in the media. Uh, please continue. No, you sure don't, and and and, and you're and you're very on point with that uh, with that uh, observation. Uh, why did they pull the trigger on October 4 last year? I mean, I could still be ongoing here, except I did a couple of unusual things last year, which I think whoever they are that were watching me uh, became very concerned. Last July, I put my house of 15, 16 years on the market. Simultaneously, within a few weeks, early August of last year, I closed my business, uh, the one in question, Pamela Martin and Associates, which I had operated nonstop for 13 years. In some people's eyes, it would have been uh, perceived as an unexpected move. So they and, thought maybe you were planning to kind of leave the mafia, and they don't ever let you leave, kind of. You know, you know that's a, that's another very good observation. You know, as long as the status quo was ongoing, because I was so reliable, I was so dependable, I ran such a nice service, sort of in the style of the Mayflower Madam from New York from back in the 1980s. Uh, no drugs. Uh, we paid our taxes every year, believe it or not. Uh, everything was just so nicely done, and then I all of a sudden quit. Yeah, they got paranoid, and then... Uh... The wicked flee when none pursueth, uh, basically because they were paranoid. Now they've triggered what they were worried about. Or perhaps they were trying to trigger a chain of events because they had assessed you to cause you to stand up and fight back against them because they had assessed you psychologically to run now a massive blackmailing operation. Stay with us. We'll be right back with our guest. So she had been under investigation since at least 2004, but nothing was done about it until October of 2006, two months after she closed down the business. And as that interview draws out, I think, quite well, and there is an hour more of it online, so again, please go to the documentation list to find that full interview from 2007. Her business was quite possibly being deliberately and consciously used as a honey trap for various politicians in order to conduct intelligence gathering for blackmail purposes, and it would certainly not be the first or only time in American political history, or indeed any political history, in which that has been done. In fact, it's quite common. Or as in the case of Elliot Spitzer, perhaps the escort agency and the DC madam was not involved in any way, as she herself maintained, and as Alex Jones suggested, the intelligence agencies that have now been given carte blanche to listen in on your phone calls, read your emails, and basically spy on you in every and any possible way imaginable may have been doing so behind the scenes without Pamela Martin and Associates' knowledge or uh, consent in order to collect this type of information on various individuals. But regardless, as she herself indicates, in the summer of 2006, she began to make some moves which obviously worried people who might have been in a position to have been personally exposed by an exposure of the information that she had been collecting for the last 13 years when she suddenly closed down the business and put her house up for sale 
and obviously that could have sent the message that she was about to blow the whistle, precipitating a civil and criminal response which was very soon used to try to exert a gag order on her. We get that information also from thesmokinggun.com, which of course likes to cover all stories prurient and salacious. Uh, feds seek to gag D.C. Madam, quote, Federal prosecutors want to gag an indicted former Washington, D.C. Madam, who has recently threatened to go public with details about her former customers. In a motion filed Monday in U.S. District Court, investigators are seeking a pr protective order covering discovery material to be provided to Deborah Palfrey and her lawyers. Palfrey, 50, was indicted last week on racketeering and money laundering charges stemming from her operation of the Pamela Martin and Associates Escort Service, which closed last summer after 13 years in business. In their motion, a copy of which you'll find below, and of course that's in the link, government lawyers claim that some discovery documents contain personal information about Palfrey's former J Johns and prostitutes that is sensitive. The prosecution filing does not detail the nature of this confidential information, though the identity of Palfrey's DC customers would surely be cloaked if the protective order was signed by Judge Gladys Kessler. End quote. Well, as you can imagine, it's not so easy to gag someone who is determined to resist and who does have a lot of information that could implicate a lot of people in some very salacious scandals. And so the DC madam, Deborah Palfrey, took it upon herself to go to the media with her phone lists. Nonetheless, the decision ultimately was made to hand over the records to a responsible media outlet, in this case, ABC News in New York, without compensation and or promises or guarantees of any sort. Even though ABC News is under no obligation whatsoever to me, I do expect their reporting to help identify potential witnesses for my defense. For me, this is an absolute necessity since the government has placed me in the untenable position whereby I do not have sufficient monies to undertake this extraordinarily expensive task. Consequently, of my own. I would ask the press and the media to put aside the titillation of the who's who's list, at least in part and instead investigate the disturbing genesis, the confounding evolution, and the equally alarming continuation of this matter. I believe there is something very, very rotten at the core of my circumstance, and without money to hire my own investigators, I must rely upon your acumen and talent here in the press and the media to uncover the truth. So what precisely does relying on the acumen and the integrity of the professionals at 2020 and ABC News actually get you? Well, only this. From The Independent on Sunday, 6th of May 2007, Network refuses to name clients of DC Madam. Quote, there was an almost audible sigh of relief in parts of America's capital this weekend after a TV network said it would not reveal the identities of scores of clients of the alleged DC madam because they were not well enough known to be newsworthy. ABC News said that, having plowed through 46 pounds of phone records, it had discovered that among the clients of Deborah Palfrey's alleged prostitution ring were senior business executives, NASA officials, and at least five military officers. And among the women working for Miss Palfrey, who ran the network in Washington, D.C. from her home in California, were an instructor at the U.S. Naval Academy and a legal secretary at a prominent law firm. The secretary was suspended after telling her bosses she worked for Miss Palfrey for spa money. 
The only government official known to have been a client was Randall Tobias at the State Department. He resigned after being confronted by ABC. Another client named was Harlan Ullman, a columnist for the Washington Times and a senior advisor at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, a Washington think tank. End quote. And so ABC News, surprise, surprise, violates the trust that the DC madam put in them by giving them the phone list and refusing to publish the names of the people involved, except for the ones that had already come out and admitted that they were clients of the service. So, no harm, no foul, no major falls from grace as a result of this information not being released by ABC News, and everyone went along their merry way. Oh, except for the DC madam, who of course was still undergoing prosecution, and for one of the escorts who had worked for her, someone by the name of Brandy Britton, and we can find out more about her from this obituary headline, Trial Nearing Alleged Girl Found Dead, from the Washington Post, January 30th, 2007. Quote, She was a former college professor who had lost almost everything, her stellar academic reputation, her financial well-being, and her anonymity in the swanky suburban neighborhood where she, accu she was accused of working as a high-priced prostitute. With Brandy Britton's trial planned to start next week, the former University of Maryland Baltimore County professor apparently took her own life over the weekend, hanging herself in her living room, Howard County Police say. A family member found the body Saturday afternoon. Police say they do not suspect foul play. Her trial date on four counts of prostitution, which she had decided to fight in a jury trial instead of accepting a plea agreement, was set for Monday. Police would get a chance to air their version of Brandy Britton, that in her $400,000 home at the end of a cul-de-sac where children ride razor scooters and mums drive minivans with soccer de decals, Britton had been selling herself as a call girl, end quote. Well, the Brandy Britton story is particularly interesting because she had decided to fight in a jury trial, and she had suddenly ended up hanging herself, according to the police before having had a chance to properly defend herself. Well, if that sounds suspect, considering that she was working for this high-priced Washington, D.C. call girl outfit and was planning on defending herself, presumably, one would imagine, by naming names, and suddenly found hanging dead, well, let's take a look at the D.C. madam. On April 15th, 2008, she was found guilty of money laundering, using the mail for illegal purposes, and racketeering. She faced a maximum of 55 years in prison for those offenses, but was likely to get much less, probably around five years in prison. And her sentencing was due to take place later that year. But two weeks after having been found guilty, on May 1st, 2008, Palfrey was found dead. A woman believed to be the one convicted of running a high-end prostitution ring in Washington has been found dead in Florida, apparently from suicide. A body that police believe is Deborah Jean Palfrey was found in a shed near her mother's mobile home in Tarpon Springs, Florida, near Tampa. Police say there was a suicide note, but are not releasing what it said. Palfrey was convicted last month by a federal jury of running a prostitution service catering to Washington's political elite including Senator David Vitter of Louisiana. Palfrey denied the escort service engaged in prostitution. She was convicted of several charges, including money laundering. Palfrey faced a maximum of 55 years in prison. She was free, pending her sentencing in July. Lee Powell, The Associated Press. Deborah Jean Palfrey, the D.C. madam, found dead? 
This woman who had the inside knowledge on all of these people in the Washington, D.C. area who had been using her alleged prostitution service, and she was found dead? Well, certainly there would be a detailed and very thorough investigation into exactly what happened, and this sort of case would be very carefully followed in the media in a fair and objective manner, right? Well, yes, she was found on the 1st of May 2008, and on the 1st of May 2008, Time magazine published this fair and balanced look at the details of a death that had just happened hours ago. DC Madam, Suicide Before Prison Quote, Deborah Jean Palfrey, known as the DC Madam, once implied that suicide was cowardice, but in the end, she seems to have chosen that same path herself. She wasn't going to jail, she told me that very clearly. She told me she would commit suicide. Author Dan Moldia told Time soon after news broke of her body being found in Tarpon Springs, Florida, an apparent suicide. Palfrey's body, along with a handwritten suicide note, was discovered by police in a storage area attached to her mother's mobile home. Palfrey contacted Moldia last year to provide her help writing a book. She had done time once before for prostitution, Moldia recalls, and it damn near killed her. She said there was enormous stress, it made her sick, she couldn't take it, and she wasn't going to let that happen to her again. When a former employee of Palfrey's, Brandy Britton, hanged herself before going to trial, Palfrey had told the press, I guess I'm made of something that Brandy Britton wasn't made of, end quote. Very interesting. So within hours of her body being discovered, Time magazine was already running a piece about how her death was obviously a suicide because she had told, apparently, in an unrecorded and unknown conversation, which only Dan Moldia ever had access to, about her thoughts about committing suicide before going to prison, something that he never thought to share with anyone between the time that she was actually convicted and the time of her sentencing, until she found, was found dead, in which case he was very eager to tell time as soon as possible about this supposedly remembered conversation. And if we go to that online source of journalistic acumen and integrity that could only be matched by the unparalleled journalistic integrity of an organization like ABC News, Wikipedia, we can find from the entry on Deborah Jean Palfrey that very quote from Moldia telling about the time that Palfrey apparently told him that she would commit suicide before going back to prison as the final word on the subject. And if Wikipedia deems it so, then it must be so. Because certainly there could not be anything like, say, a recorded conversation from after that supposed 2007 court conversation in which she unequivocally stated that she would not commit suicide. Right? Well, look, I mean, she's already dropped the, the atomic bomb on him. She's already released the, the numbers. Yeah, yeah, I have. And, uh, and, I, and, and, and not to be concerned, I have no intention of letting anyone buy me off or make any kind of a deal with me. And you're I'm not planning to commit stuff. suicide. And I'm not planning to commit suicide either. The fact that you're so visible really protects you going on Larry King and other big shows. Uh, but you want to put it on record that you're not planning to commit suicide? No, I'm not planning to commit suicide. I'm planning to go into court on April 7th if indeed we do have the trial, and I plan on defending myself vigorously, and I plan on exposing the government uh, in ways that, uh, you know, I do not think they want me to expose them. I want them to explain to me in open court why they came after me. Well, that would seem to be a pretty unequivocal statement, and it would seem to be prima facie evidence that one would at least have to take very serious consideration of the fact 
that she was murdered. And although large sections of the corporate establishment status quo media were happy to go along with that version of events in which Deborah Jean Palfrey suddenly decided to kill herself rather than face the years in prison, the story seemed so incredibly unlikely that even the establishment propaganda media, as exemplified by none other than Geraldo, were willing to take a look at the alternative viewpoint. And it was quite clear that many people were just not buying the suicide story. Joining me now from Austin, Texas, the well-known radio host himself, the conspiracy theorist and documentary filmmaker Alex Jones. Alex interviewed uh, Deborah Palfrey in March of this year when she told him what you just heard, that she would never commit suicide. So, Alex, uh, welcome. What do you think? Uh, do you believe this to be as the authorities say it is? Geraldo, first off, thanks for having me on. Uh, she was a very nice lady, uh, very genteel. There's no doubt in my mind that she was murdered. Uh, let me just go through some of the basic evidence. She told me repeatedly on my radio show, and those interviews are posted at Infowars.com in full, that she would never kill herself, that she wasn't planning to kill herself. I pressed her during breaks in front of the board ops. I said, listen, this is dangerous. You've got to say who these people were. Uh, you know, do you know? And she said, well, I'm not going to say. I just want this all to end. And I said, you've got to say. Uh, who it was or you're not safe. She said, listen, I'll never kill myself. If they claim that, I was murdered. So we have a tape of her saying she wouldn't commit suicide. Now, NBC in Florida, where she had a condo, is reporting that one of her friends, who was the manager of the high-rise condos, and he's on tape saying two days before she was killed, before she died, she left to her mother's and said, look, I'm being followed. I think there's a contract out on me. I'm not going to kill myself. This is on tape. Then you look at Brandy Britton. She was facing six months in jail last year, shot her mouth off, Ms. Palfrey said, the D.C. Madam said, and said, I'm going to talk about who my Johns are. This is hypocritical. She was a professor. You know, she had a psychology degree. She was saying, this is hypocritical. I'm going to tell who my Johns were, and then she hangs herself. Number one, Geraldo, you covered a lot of criminology. You know, women don't normally hang themselves. First one of her True. girls True. kills herself. Now she kills pills. herself. They take pills. Uh, Mm -hmm. Exactly. And on top of it, her, in fact, 90% of women take pills. That's the way they do it. Now, now, men shoot themselves and hang themselves. Now, on top of it, her mother said she was happy, saying she was going to fight it. Uh, Alex, Al Al let me take a break. Stand by right there. I have uh, Judge Pirro and Kim Gilfoyle also right back. Back left just a second before I uh, continue our discussion on the death of uh, Deborah Jean Palfrey, the so-called D.C. madam who... Uh, the authorities say committed suicide, but some have doubts. Uh, Alex Jones, the uh, popular radio host uh, who interviewed uh, Deborah Jane Palfrey, uh, had uh, been saying just before the, uh, the commercial break that uh, she, the D.C. madam, was a happy person. Why don't you finish that thought, Alex, and I'll get on to our other guests. Well, Geraldo, it's just that she told her mother, she told the person that managed the condos where she lived and she was friends with, everybody, uh, that she was going to go on and going to fight. Uh, others that uh, knew her said that they, she was going to write a book when she got out uh, in about uh, six to seven uh, months. Could have been as many as 70 months, but certainly not 50 years, as some were saying. And you have two women hanging themselves. I mean, this is ridiculous with these uh, supposed, uh, you know, very wealthy, very powerful uh, Johns. I think this is, quote, taking out the garbage, somebody trying to get rid of evidence. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, 
And, you know, of an election, your problem. Okay, Alex Jones. Let's. Uh, uh, Alex has a reputation sometimes of being, uh, you know, uh, uh, flamboyant in his opinions. Let's say. Uh, I don't know that to be the case about you at all, uh, Judge <laughs> Eve Hero or Kimberly Gilfoyle. Uh, what do you say, Judge? Well, you know, I had the opportunity, Geraldo, to interview Deborah Jean about a year ago, and I talked to her about Brandy Britain and her suicide. And what she said to me is, they don't just come and get you; they terrorize you. And but she made it very clear that she was not made of that. And I agree with you, Alex. Not made of that means she was not she suicidal. She was not suicidal. Right. Mm -hmm. She was a woman who had a very strong core. She was a fighter from the get-go. And one of the things Top she said nails. to me, Geraldo, was that, look, this isn't about madams. This isn't about prostitution. This is about me. Suggesting that there was no government program to take down prostitutes. There was a program she believed to take her down. Think about it. You've got a top State Department official. You've got a military strategist, a United States senator. You've got all of these individuals, lobbyists, paying for prostitutes. At the same time, you've got the head of the Maryland State Police who's being indicted and convicted for using the Executive Protection Unit to move the prostitutes around. You've got a federal prosecutor at that time who was murdered and who yet his case is unsolved. You've got all kinds yes. of corruption going Jonathan on. Luna. It's mm -hmm. Jonathan Luna. And indeed, I have the book, The Midnight Ride of Jonathan Luna, for anyone interested. Everything raises a doubt. Kimberly Guilford, yes. as, as a former prosecutor, right away when I heard that this was an apparent suicide, I couldn't believe it. I was doubtful from the get-go. If I was a prosecutor on this case, I would make sure and investigate it very thoroughly. I think it's far too coincidental that the two women involved in this would both hang themselves. Right there, I think it gives it. cause for Why suspicion. Why is the Justice Department sealing the names of the Johns when they could very easily be indicting them? Right. As they well, that's let me start. Well, that's an excellent question. Why would they have sealed the names of the Johns in this case, especially as the fine, upstanding professional journalists at ABC News had already determined that there were no newsworthy names in the phone list that they had received from Deborah Jean Palfrey? And why would there be cloak and daggers associated with her case? Why would they have even bothered to pursue her or follow her or put pressure on her in any way if there had been no names of any importance on that list? Well, that's a good question, and we'll come back to that in a moment. But just to follow up on one of the things revealed in there, uh, as Alex Jones pointed out in that clip from the Geraldo show, uh, the building manager of the apartment that, uh, the, sorry, the condo that she owned in Orlando had actually talked about her being followed and being very concerned about her own safety in the weeks preceding her death. And that comes from an article from WESH.com on the 2nd of May 2008, Building Manager DC Madam's Death, Not Suicide, which reads in part, quote, Palfrey's building manager said she often told him she believed she was being followed, and he thinks there may have been some former clients of her escort service who wanted her dead. She insinuated that there is a contract out for her, and I fully believe they succeeded, her building manager said. Palfrey's Lexus is still parked in the Park Lake garage, and the staff said on Monday she asked about making sure her condo fees would continue to be paid during what Palfrey anticipated would be six years in prison. They said she left that day with some suitcases and a box. She had one white paper file box that she told me had some important paper with her, and then she just kind of raised her eyebrows like you're supposed to think, oh yeah, that's all the information that she had on her business in Washington, her building manager said, end quote. 
If this story sounds familiar, that's because we've heard it before. We heard it in the case of Terry Yakey, who supposedly committed suicide with some very valuable information that he was taking with him that he believed would blow the Oklahoma City investigation wide open, and his, of course, grisly murder, which was passed off as suicide, which we've talked about in a previous episode of this podcast. Or we have people like the wife of E. Howard Hunt, going down in United 553, carrying millions of dollars worth of treasuries and other securities that were to be used to pay off the Watergate burglars. And now we have Deborah Jean Palfrey, the DC madam, carrying with her a box of her Washington papers, believing she was being followed, ending up hanging herself. Well, let's get back to the incredibly important question of who was really on those phone lists for Date the DC Madam's escort service. And to do that, we'll go to Wayne Madsen, who, of course, as many of my listeners will probably already know, was an ex-contract consultant for the National Security Agency and currently runs the Wayne Madsen Report. And he appeared on the Alex Jones Show shortly after the murder of the DC Madam to talk about who was really on the list. I would point out that ABC uh, 2020, uh, they were the ones that promised the name names of her clients, and they spiked the story. I know for a fact they received uh, pressure from Disney executives who in turn received pressure from the White House not to run those names. I've reported that Dick Cheney was one of those clients. I stand by that report. I will continue to stand by that report. And I have other names that are very close to Cheney. I did meet with uh, Gene Palfrey on several occasions, socially. Hey, let me stop you. For your own safety, you better say everything you know right now. Was what was Deborah Gene Palfrey your source that it was Dick Cheney? Uh, somebody very close to Gene Palfrey was my source. Well, we don't want them to get killed. Who was the source? <laughs> well, I don't want to. I don't want to go into details. Okay, well, do you want to say you. right now you're not going to hang yourself tomorrow night? I, I'm not going to hang myself. But, I mean, let, let's be right clear. Now. You're not going to commit suicide. You're not. Yeah. Oh, no way. Say it all. No Say way. it all right no, now. No, I'm not going to commit suicide. I'm very happy uh, here. I, you know, I want to I want to see this. Uh, on January 20th of next year, I want to see George Bush flown preferably to The Hague and not back to the Crawford Ranch. So I'm going to stick around for that. Well, this is dangerous waters uh, here. Uh, t- Look, I would tell people what you do know because you know they're going to probably come kill you and others. You're the, I'm not jo- Wayne. You know we're not joking. Well, I know, but they better take their best. You know, they better take their best shot. They better not miss because I won't. That's all I have to say. But uh, but anyway, you know, the Dick Cheney was obviously a client. Uh, I know for a fact, also uh, from very good sources, there were a couple of GOP uh, candidates, one present candidate. Well, I pretty much says so and some previous candidates for the GOP nomination for president were also clients. So John McCain? John McCain, yes. Do you think that's what this housekeeping could be about? Yeah. Fred Thompson and Rudy Giuliani. And, and do you believe, Palfrey, that she didn't know who these clients were? I think she knew exactly who they were. As a matter of fact, remember, her, most of her clients were in McLean, Virginia. That, that was the center of activity. Thirteen years, she had the most discreet escort service uh, in Washington. She didn't send... Why didn't they leave her alone? Why are they killing all these women? They're the ones that called them. Exactly, and this is how they're cleaning, uh, cleaning up. They used them, and now they're disposing of them, and it's uh, it's disgusting. Obviously, the agency, I'm meaning the CIA, used these, these girls because these were professional, well-educated. These were not barely 
uh, English-speaking Koreans or people from... Oh, you, know, you think it's an intelligent... You think it's an intelligence op. Uh, you think these girls were being run by an agency. I absolutely do, and I, I feel that... I, I pressed Jean on that many occasions. She never told me, but of course she may have made an agreement never to say that. So that makes. Oh, you're sense. saying you believe she was working for a subsection of the U.S. or Israelis or Russians? Uh, no, or? no, I believe I believe McLean, Virginia, obviously is uh, where the CIA is located. I believe. Uh, but I mean, they, so it wasn't they, subsections. Well, you know, it's infiltrated. Uh, so yeah. you believe the U.S. government was running an operation against uh, against U.S. targets? Well, she said on this show. That they were using her as 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 bait to track people. Oh, I believe that's true, and I believe they were, you know, entrapping Middle Eastern leaders. We know that they were clients. We know that Cheney was using them not only for his own uh, predilections, but also to uh, entertain uh, potential customers in the Middle East for Halliburton. Uh, we know that Cheney. I, I reported today. Uh, I, I reiterated that some of Cheney's top lieutenants at Halliburton and KBR, Kellogg Brown and Root. And we know about the sexual harassment of KBR people. This is an awful company, and so is Halliburton. We know about. Well, it came out about the CIA head uh, Porter right. Goss uh, would go to the Watergate, where on one floor you had gambling, the next floor you had the quote free hookers. Uh, right. So it's just, I mean, why didn't they kill those girls? I guess they do well, kill. I, we don't know that. We don't know that they haven't because uh, Sherlington Limousine that was delivering those women to the Watergate and uh, to another hotel in Washington, uh, uh, Sherlington Limousine was transporting Pamela Martin and Associates escorts, the, the escorts that worked for Gene Palfrey. Cheney, Giuliani, McCain. We have the White House leaning on ABC News not to release the names. We have the CIA and its fingerprints all over this. And we have the D.C. madam found dead, ruled a suicide. For whistleblowers with key information out there, let this and other stories be a warning that when you go public, you better go public. And when you go public, don't trust the establishment media to get the information out for you. This is not a game, and the stakes could not be higher, and many people pay with their lives. And now, it's up to us, the true alternative to the establishment media, to continue the investigation, and to propagate this information. I leave you today with the words of the DC Madam, Deborah Jean Palfrey. That's it for today. I am your host, James Corbett, asking you to join me again next week for episode 160 of the Corbett Report, Remembering Aaron Russo. Jean Palfrey says she's been humiliated too that she won't let the government bring her down without a fight. I just keep my head high. I guess I'm made of something that Brandy Britton wasn't made of. You know, I, I've got something in me. What that is, it's, it, it can't be defined, but there's something in me that won't let him get away with it. And I'm not going to let these bastards get away with it. <laughs>